Well, welcome once again to Voice of Reason Radio. Chris Honholtz joining you on this. Well, now we're into September already, September 4th, 2023. I would love to have it both be Rich and myself joining you tonight, but unfortunately, that's not going to work out. Uh, no major crises or anything, uh, but Rich is uh, a little under other weather from a variety of things, things like you know major allergies, lack of sleep, and, and just a variety of things that come with uh, taking care of family and, and other responsibilities, so he's just not able to be here with us this week. Uh, always, as always, we ask that you pray for Rich, pray for his family, pray for all of our families because they have to put up with us. But we are so grateful to be with you. Wanted to make sure we at least got you another uh, episode out this week. Um, we did a, a rerun last week. Thank you for taking the time to listen to that. Uh, hopefully that was helpful to you. I know some of you have listened to it before with uh, the new listeners. Sometimes, uh, you know, I I know when I jump into a podcast for a first time, I don't go back and listen to every single episode. Some of you do, which is really interesting <laughs> when you start seeing the numbers popping up or comments or likes on a particular episode that you forgot you'd even done. So you, some of you are very kind to do that. But uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's nice to you know pull back some of those older episodes that we do and, and give you a chance to listen to some of the content we put out in the past um, if we can't do something. So we try not to do that as often, but it is something that once in a while uh, we do put out. And we thank you for taking the time to listen to it and and, and spending time with us, even in rerun format. So <laughs> I want to remind you, we are part of the Christian podcast community. And uh, as a part of that community, we want to encourage you to check out all the various podcasts that are on there. You'll always find something that's edifying and beneficial to you. And it's always going to be sound, uh, soundly theological because that's one of the things that they make sure that incoming podcasts are, is they're not going to just, you know, uh, take anybody with a Christian label. So you can be rest assured that if you check out the various podcasts on there, you're going to find something that's uh, helpful to you. So really want you to do that. Remind you to also check out slavetothekingcom That is our website, kind of our one-stop shop for social media connections, new episodes, uh, RSS feed if you're a person who doesn't necessarily like to use a native uh, podcasting app such as the Apple Podcast app. If you have your own that you prefer to use, you can drop it in there. It's also how you can contact us and you can sign up to follow the things that we put out. In fact, I said this on Twitter not long ago. I'm going to be probably using the pod, or not the podcast, excuse me, I do that, <laughs> but the blog format of the website a little bit more often. Up until recently, I've been putting a lot of things that I write directly to Twitter because the long-form format makes it much easier to reach a broader uh, base of readers. Unfortunately, uh, Twitter is kind of getting a little weird, uh, despite Elon Musk's assurance that it was going to be a free speech haven. His new CEO has made some comments that are a bit eyebrow-raising, uh, things that, like, well, you have freedom of speech, but not freedom of reach, so we'll limit you if we don't like what you say. And that's an honest-to-goodness policy announcement that they've put out. Um, so I'm probably going to curtail back from that. I'm, I'm taking uh, my, my $8 a month back, and uh, I'm going to probably put that to something else more useful. And uh, I'll probably put it more toward anything that I write more often toward the blog. It's just that the blog takes a little bit more time. you got to format things for a blog. Uh, and a lot of you have expressed a desire for me to record audio of those uh, of those articles, so it takes a little bit more time. But we would still encourage you to uh, to sign up because you will be notified that you know we've put new content 
content on the website, and that way you'll know how to access that and be able to read or listen to it as we put more stuff out. So would greatly encourage you to do that. So tonight, uh, just a little bit informal, I, I tried to maybe drum up some listener reader question listener reader questions. Wow. Uh, this is when I'm when I'm by myself, it just doesn't work as well. <laughs> listener questions. Uh, I did get one because uh, I kind of hit you guys with the last second. So um, if you had a question and you see it later after I've dropped the podcast and you see my question, I'm sorry I didn't see it before then. I probably should have put this out earlier, but I didn't think about it until uh, just a couple hours ago. So I did get one question, so I'll go over that one tonight, and uh, hopefully that will be of help to you, kind of an on-the-fly, if you could ask anything. Um, This was a good one. Also, just a couple of things I've been uh, ruminating on as I've been doing my studies in the scriptures, and maybe relating it to things that we see going on. Uh, I, I, I will say this before I get into that topic. Watch how much time you're spending on social media. That shouldn't be a, a hard one, but a lot of us are can be very consumed by it. And it, sh- it should be a kind of a no-brainer. Wow, too much time on social media, maybe not so good for you. But um, I, like anyone else, I, I'm on there and I find myself scrolling, scrolling, scrolling and looking past the same you know, 30 posts I saw just 30 seconds ago. And <laughs> it's uh, you can get caught up in that. But I say it more because your the life that you walk as a Christian should be with your family, in your home, with your local church, serving your local church. When we get into these internet discussions, and sometimes they can be very helpful and be very valid, we can kind of get a, a warped picture of, uh, in a sense, of what's really going on in the Christian church. Now, I think looking at those conversations can give you kind of a quick spiritual temperature of things, so to speak. You can kind of know what issues are going on in the church by what people are talking about. Um, but you get caught up in a lot of these things, and suddenly it can feel like this is the only thing going on. And uh, I'm going to, you know, I, I've done this before and I'm doing it right now and encourage you to do this as well. Consider, you know, curtailing and curating what your newsfeed looks like. And I don't mean that in the sense of just just have a um, an echo chamber that only you agree with. I don't think that's wise. Um, we, it, it's really tempting to do that, but then you're not forced to think outside uh, your little bubble. You're not forced to refine and improve your Christian thinking be widely read, so to speak, when it comes to social media, but curate it. Be willing to say, I don't need to engage that group of people, or I don't need, this is the hot button topic everybody wants to debate in. I don't want to debate in that. So be willing to mute things. Uh, Be willing to mute people, uh, keywords, whatever it is you need to do to not put yourself in a position of feeling like, you get drugged down in the in the muck in the mire as as some of us can be just be hey look let's just admit it we like to fight right you know we get behind the keyboard and we're warriors and um, I I think we need to be very cautious of that so as I've been taking my time to study certain things have been jumping out to me in the, in the scriptures and helping me kind of reformat what I want to focus on. Um, so with to, to that end, I'm hoping that what I talk about tonight on this little first half will be useful to you guys. Now, I've still got social media up only because if questions come in, I want to be able to maybe throw those in as we go. I did say it could be kind of an on-the-fly thing. So um, 
and people are trying to be funny asking about does light have mass come on guys uh, i'm not Cy ten brugen tate <laughs> i don't need to have i don't need to have that fun little debate i i'm not even smart enough to try so um <laughs> <laughs> I've got two of you, literally two of you, Rose and Christine. Uh, my goodness. So uh, have made this joke to me. It's it's an old joke back in the day when we would do blog talk radio and stuff like that. And one of the guys who was known for his apologetics reaching, uh, uh, reaching atheists and stuff, that was a joke of his. Anytime there was a question, does light have mass? So uh, I'll let you all play with that one. <laughs> But to this end, let me let me let me go over something that's really been kind of uh, before I get into the one question that I did get. Let me go over this issue. That's it's kind of in in a couple different parts, and as it's really been this issue of humility about the glorification of God, about why we do what we do as Christians, and that has helped me again to kind of pull back from some of the hot button topics as I'm engaging in social media, because there's a lot of, there's always going to be a hot button topic. There's always going to be what's the latest Christian fad, even within more reformed camp, uh, even within the more biblical, uh, you know, scripturally biblically sound Christian church. There's always going to be some fad or some wave or movement that comes along that we get caught up in and debating whether we should be involved or not. Um, we've mentioned on the show before, the big one lately has been Christian nationalism. Uh, we're not going to get into that particular topic. I, I'll just say up front, I thought about that was, I was actually starting to study that out. And the reason I was studying it is I saw firebombs kind of coming from both sides. Now, I am not a Christian nationalist, despite what some people on social media an argument let me let me do this for you by the way let me take another uh, take a rabbit trail off my current rabbit trail if someone tells you i'm not x and i reject x and here's why i reject x don't let your retort be oh you're most definitely be x i actually saw that recently as an argument with regard to christian nationalism uh, a brother that I do respect, I won't go into names, I'm not naming anybody tonight if people want to uh, wonder what's going on. I'm, I'm just talking about the arguments. A brother I respect, two brothers actually, uh, we're having the discussion and uh, I was very surprised by this particular um, this particular brother's response and basically it was with regard to Christian nationalism and the argument uh of the first brother was to kind of repudiate Christian nationalism, say that he's not a Christian nationalist and how he stands uh, apart from that. And this brother that I respect comes in and says, oh, no, you're definitely a Christian nationalist. And I stopped. I was like, why would you say something like that, especially of, of the one who's you're, you're talking to? And I, and, and I kind of politely tried to bring some correction. I said, brother, don't do this. Do not tell someone that they are a Christian nationalist when they repudiate that. Um, you know, be respectful and and not do that. Oh, I'm not a subjectivist. And what he was basically doing is he was saying, based on the argument you've presented, that's that's something that Christian nationalism uh, stands by. So therefore, if you stand by this argument, that means you're a Christian nationalist. And by the way, you're going to be called a Christian nationalist by the people that hate you. So you might as well just embrace it. That was the argument. It, please don't do that. It's disrespectful to your brethren, um, especially if they stand opposed to that particular arg you know, argument, and in this case, Christian nationalism. You're insulting them, and you're trying to push them to accept something that you yourself uh, are espousing, and you're, for you're trying to force them into a corner. 
that's that's just rude. It's uh, it's unkind. It shows no grace. It shows no kindness, and it 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 tells me that you really don't have a great argument, especially if you're a smart individual like the this one guy is. Um, and I'm trying I'm trying to be careful not to name names because I don't want it to be about the people. But the, like I said, I I respect this particular brother. I've seen him come and go from social media, and and. When he comes on, I think he has some of the, really some of the best content I've seen. I, I wish he was more, you know, was on more consistently. But he's embraced this particular um, ideology. I, I don't, but I have. I, I know a lot of brothers and sisters who do, and I respect them. And even if I find disagreement with them, if I'm going to have a discussion with them, I think that discussion should be without the rhetoric and the rancor and the, the the mockery that so often goes on. So when he made that argument, which is not consistent with the type of character I've seen him demonstrate in the past, it was very shocking to me. Um, I just was very disappointed in that. And I, I'm going to encourage you, don't do that to someone. Be respectful enough to go, okay, you reject it, but can you explain to me what it, what it is you reject? And let's get into the discussion. Don't call that person what they reject. All right, have enough respect to do that. And this is not the same as, well, I identify as, therefore you must respect. No, we're talking about ideological positions within the biblical, biblically sound Christian church, okay? We're not talking about the gal who calls herself a pastrix and is parading up on a stage, you know, saying a whole bunch of nonsense that has nothing to do with Scripture, for example. And if I bring that up because that debate just seems to come and go. Um... And uh, I got, I got, by the way, I, the, if I share an, uh, a podcast episode with you on Twitter because, or X or Twixter or whatever we want to call it these days, I'm doing it because I think that content will be helpful to you. And it's more in depth than what I can do in even an extended form tweet on that on, uh, or post on that website. Don't accuse me. <laughs> of trying to drum up listenership, which is what one individual did. Oh, make your case here. Don't don't try to, you know, uh, shill your podcast. No, I'm it there was 3 hours of content with regard to uh uh you know, the the position of pastor and what men and women can do, and my hope was to that would be helpful in a, in an ongoing discussion and this person accused me of shilling. Um if anybody listens to this show, you know we don't shill very well. <laughs> We're, we're, we're like the anti-shillers. We're just like, well, if you can share, that'd be great. Uh, but so that was, so I think that's the one, why I used that example. It was on my mind. But we're, we're talking about brothers and sisters who hold ideological positions and have identifiers such as Christian nationalists or not Christian nationalists. Let's be respectful enough to engage the discussion without throwing out these terms and trying to pigeonhole people into them. It's disrespectful. And by the way, those on my side of the equation, we need to tone down our rhetoric. We don't need to assume that every person who espouses, say, for example, Christian nationalism is some sort of enemy that needs to be defeated. Take a deep breath, engage the discussion, or back off. But we don't need to attack everybody, and, and I think all of us need to to deal with that a little bit better. So I, getting back to my first rabbit trail, I had hoped to maybe study these things out. I do have one of the a couple of books that I, I'm going to take some time to read eventually that maybe would help me understand the Christian nationalist position better. And even if I disagree with it, which I do, um, be able to articulate those arguments that they make more correctly 
so that I'm not, you know, uh, misrepresenting, which is a big thing we, we really need to concentrate on. My problem with that is, is that even when I see brothers and sisters articulate correctly these positions, there's a lot of animosity for, uh, coming back saying, oh, you're not representing us fairly. Oh, you don't understand. Oh, you're just, you know, you're, you're making it you sound worse than it is. And that's very, I, I'll be honest with you. If you want me to engage your, your position and people are engaging your position and you still get mad at them because they're disagreeing with you, that's very off-putting. Why am I going to listen to what you have to say if you're going to do that? You need to you need to stop. You need to be willing to take criticism and critique. We should all do. And I, and I have to take it as well as anybody else. So if you can't take criticism and critique, that also makes your position look much more much less ten uh, strength. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It doesn't look very tenuous. It, it looks very weak. It, lo- it looks like you can't articulate it, even though you might be able to do that. So don't get upset with people when they critique you. Be willing to engage that. And, and if nothing else, what it does is help you refine your position. What really began to bother me, though, is as I saw certain groups kind of glomming into that Christian nationalism group, some of them, look, I, you can't control all the wackadoodles that will show up in support of what you are proposing. You're going to get some some strange people, and you can't control just because they follow you, and and then they're off to the side espousing crazy things, doesn't mean that that's what you believe. So I get that, but if that those individuals are espousing things supposedly as Christians and using the Bible to justify positions that are well, look, even borderline racist in some cases. And I don't use that term lightly because that term gets overused so easily. But when you've got people who are basically articulating um, that segregation within marital relations is a good thing and you're not repudiating that or you're trying to find a way to justify what they're saying, like, okay, here's this one area where it could be acceptable what he's saying – I have a, at that point, I'm kind of like, I'm done. Okay. I don't agree with the whole concept of there are no enemies to my right. Okay. There, and there are people who are acting like that within Christian circles right now. And it's not even just Christian nationalism. I mean, that's, that's a position I think that sadly, I think is, is becoming more and more prevalent as we see it here. Um, politically conservative pundits talking that way. And the the base of the uh, basis of that argument is well on the left it doesn't matter how wacky wacko you are we all they all bound uh, bond together and they punch forward with their agenda and it doesn't matter how extreme or uh, not extreme they are they're all working together as one unit and that's why they're winning we as uh, conservatives we're fighting with one another and that's why we're losing and the problem with that is is that um, if your goal is winning then sure, that argument makes sense. If your goal is truth, that's an entirely different situation. And for the Christian, truth should be the most important issue. Biblical truth should be the most important issue. I understand a politically conservative individual may be less inclined. They may want, we'll deal with the truth issue if we win. So stop arguing with one another. Let's let's just... Um, Let's just you know agree to disagree on these issues and let's win and then we can figure these things out. I, I can understand that, but it's a pragmatic perspective. The Christian shouldn't live that way, shouldn't practice that way, shouldn't speak or think that way. The Christian should be a person who says, I have truth in the form of scripture and therefore if someone purports to be on my side, 
I need to evaluate what they say and do in light of Scripture. And if my goal is to you know, glorify God, then that's that is what I am most concerned with, not victory in terms of whether or not I win a vi- political or sociological victory here in this world. If you know, it's putting the cart before the ho- the horse, so to speak. Um, in fact, it's not even there's not even a cart and horse involved. It's it's like two entirely different areas of discussion: uh, temporal victory and honoring God. You know, you might have times where they co- they coincide, but you're not putting your temporal victory. Uh, you know, if, if I get this, then I glorify God, so to speak. So it, we're really we're we're getting with two different issues, and it needs to not happen that way. And so when I see people who are not willing to hold even the worst offenders of this accountable, because there are no enemies to my right mentality, um, I can't get on board with that. And so it's really it's really caused me to to back up uh, that particular line of thinking, and it's caused me to go, okay, what do I need to focus on? What do I need to be concerned with? As a Christian, it's not this this issue of political victory, though political victory can be very important in our day and age. And this is going to get me yelled at by some people and called a pietist, which call me whatever you want. Let's get back to the discussion. I don't care if you name call me. Um, by the way, if you're name calling, um, grade school ended a long time ago, and we're supposed to be adults. Let's act like it. That really needs to stop. Um, I've I've had people call me weak and you know call me all kinds of names uh, because I don't want to support their position or I say something they dislike. Fine, call me names all day long. I don't care. Can we get back to the discussion? If you want to continue to call me names, I'm just going to walk away. Um, and I would recommend that for any any particular discussion you get involved with, they, they when it results in name calling, it's time to walk away. So. That's caused me to think about what should I as a Christian be most concerned with. And as I've spent some time going through scripture, I've been really, I've gotten back to just taking a book of the Bible, spending time in it, writing down notes, thinking about these things, which now prolongs how how long it takes me to read through a particular (laughs) book of the Bible. Because uh, I was doing two, three, four, five chapters at a time, whatever, and it was starting to become repetitive, and I was just reading. And that's not necessarily good when you're studying scripture. So now I'm back down to like maybe one or two chapters and I'm taking notes and uh, and th- you know, things that the Lord is opening my eyes to. And this issue of serving him as, you know, just being a humble servant, this humble servitude has really kind of come to the surface for me. It's really become something that I hope I can encourage in other Christians. So to that end, there was a post I put the other day, and I, I hope this is helpful to people. First Thessalonians 4, 10 through 12 says, But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more, and to aspire to live quietly, and to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. And, and what I wrote was this. I said, there is something to be said for a testimony of quiet obedience to the Lord. The Christian who works faithfully works, raises a family, pays taxes, does not create a ruckus, and does not repay for e- evil done to him or her with evil in kind, but rather shows love, grace, and kindness to one, uh, one's enemies. The, the world sees this faithful Christian's walk, and though it hates him for it and the God whom he serves, most of all, it recognizes that he lives according to his professed beliefs. Such a life of quiet obedience may not be world-changing. It may not be seen by anyone but those closest to us. It may do nothing 
to reverse the course of depravity and the evil in our current age. Yet, what it does do is testify to the love we have for, for Christ and our willingness to be obedient to him above all, no matter what the world throws at us. Christians, whatever you do, may, else you may do today, seek to be a living testimony of quiet obedience to our Lord. Now, what do I mean by quiet obedience? Now, it doesn't mean shut your mouth, sit in the corner, do nothing. It means we're not trumpeting what we're doing in the streets, right? Where I'm a, I, I'm doing this because I'm a Christian and everybody needs to see that I'm a Christian and I'm going to do it. You know, you're kind of like announcing it with a megaphone kind of thing, right? We're just, we get up in the morning, we get our families ready for the day. We go to work, we earn our paychecks, we take care of our families. We study the word of God. We apply the things that we learn. We're teaching it to our families. We're going to church. We're serving in our local church. Whether you're cleaning toilets, serving in the hospitality ministry, uh, you know you're you're taking you're changing diapers, uh, uh, you know uh, in the daycare, whatever it is, um, you're doing this faithfully, and because you're doing it because you love the Lord and you want to serve Him, and you're not going out and starting fights and trying to conquer the world in in the name of Jesus Christ, right? You're simply going, I'm as a Christian, I'm called to obey the Lord in all these areas. And so I want to live in such a way as that's what I'm doing. I'm seeking to obey the Lord and do all that he has called me to do and graciously interact with the world around me. So that that's what I mean by a quiet obedience. It's not you're not doing it like the the Pharisee on the street corner saying his really loud prayers so everybody can hear how great he is. Rather, it's the publican sitting and beating his chest saying, Lord, forgive me a sinner, right? You're just, you're trying to be obedient to the Lord, living in such a way that you're not dependent on the world you're not, for your, uh, to, to move forward. You're, you're wholly trusting in the Lord and the world sees that. And so that's really important. I think it's because it serves as a testimony. Now, because some people, some at least one person kind of took an exception with what I was saying, let me just clarify, this is not about shutting your mouth and never saying anything about the evil in the world. It's never, it's not being quiet and never evangelizing or discipling. It's been not being quiet and failing to engage the culture or failing to engage on a political or sociopolitical level or anything like that. All of those things are things that we do as Christians in obedience to God. So if you live in a, a place where you have the ability to be engaged in the electoral process, for example, then you do that and you do it to the extent that you believe the Lord has equipped you and uh, has informed you. And so you do with the time that you have available what you feel you can do. And if that means you're uh, doing grassroots movements, you're doing activism, you're running for office, you're <clears throat> you're appearing at city councils, whatever. You know, uh, you're 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 stumping for your particular candidate. You're trying to get laws passed. You can do those things, and please do. I, I would highly encourage it. That's not that in no way is precluded by the idea of having a life uh, and a testimony of quiet obedience to the Lord. Nothing says you can't do those things, right? Yeah, when you evangelize, or you know, uh, you you, I would argue it this way. This is another debate that's come up: evangelism and discipleship. Uh, evangel, you, you're sharing the gospel, you're calling people to Christ, and those who have come to Christ or make a profession are being discipled in Christ through the church, through the you know the body of Christ. 
that's how I would articulate it. I know there are some who articulate it very differently. That has been a major source of discussion on the internet as of late. Um, not a discussion to probably to get into on this particular episode. It would certainly probably be some something of uh, worthy of discussion and might even be better served if we had people who could articulate both positions. So maybe we'll, we'll talk about that someday. Um, but you're doing all of those things. You're engaged in all of those things. It, you're vocal and active in the world. And what you do in that quiet obedience reinforces what you said. So if I say that I believe God has uh, given his, his word and it tells us how to live as a Christian and it exposes the fact that we're sinners and that we you know, need to turn in repentance and faith to Jesus Christ to be forgiven. And I'm given a new heart and a new desire and I live in a way to, that's consistent with that. And then I turn around and do something completely opposite. Then my, what I've said and what I do don't line up. But if what I do is consistent with what I've said, then that, that quiet obedience of just serving the Lord reinforces what I've said. So that, that was the first thing I kind of wanted to point out. Now, the other thing is, is that why is that important? Why is it so important that we have lives that we live in that way, that we're seeking to reinforce this particular message that we're given? And I think it comes down to this. Um, it is the glory of God. You know, Paul, again, writing to the Thessalonians, we'll back up to chapter two. He says uh, in in verse, uh, we'll start with chapter two, verse one. For you know, you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming uh, to you was not in vain, but we had already suffered and been shameful, excuse me, shamefully treated at Philippi. As you know, we had boldness in our God to declare the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. In verse 5, for we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. So, and then he goes on further. Let me finish this, I should say. Uh, nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostle of Christ, apostles of Christ. Why, why did they share the gospel? Why, why was it important for them to share the gospel? Why is it important for them to say it doesn't come from error or impurity? Because of this very phrase, you know, that he says, our appeal is not, or excuse me, but not, it was not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. See, Paul's motivation and the motivation of those with him was to please God. It was to, to glorify God. The preaching of the gospel, the planting of that, that church, to the, the reaching of the people of Thessalonica, its primary motivation was to please God, right? We're told, you know, the, I think it's the Westminster Confession of Faith, I think it is, that says, you know, what is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. So this idea that our primary motivating factor as Christians is to glorify God, we're to bring him glory in all that we say and do. And so when we proclaim the gospel, we are seeking to glorify his name. We're actually 
professing that we ourselves were desperate, needy sinners who, because of God's grace, turned to him in repentance and faith, which, by the way, is an act of his sovereign will, not our own. He leads us to that point. He indwells us, or he, he regenerates us. He brings us to the point of profession of repentance and faith. And he indwells us through the power of the Holy Spirit and changes us. That's an act of God. <coughs> Pardon me. Now, this is what happens when I'm working at uh, a different station and not with the one with my cough button. Excuse me on that. Take a swig of water there. Try to keep that down. So we are, Paul is doing this work specifically to please God. He's been called to do this. He's been equipped to do this. It has been given him his mission to go forward and proclaim the gospel. And so that's what he's doing. And he's doing it specifically to glorify God, glorify the Christ who redeemed him. It's not to please man. He's not out there doing this because he's getting some sort of kudos for it. He's not getting you know, a big fat pocketbook for doing so despite what the TBN hucksters would try to tell you. Uh, this, is not a, this is not a get, get rich quick scheme. Rather, it is the most uh, debasing message in the world to say you, person, are a sinner. You need a savior. You need to turn from your sin and turn to Christ to be forgiven. That lowers you. That that makes you hated in the eyes of the world. That is not a friendly message. Yet Paul does so because he seeks to please God. And that really should be what our motivation is. Anytime we engage in anything ministry-based, it should be for the specific desire and intent to please God. And that is so very important. I think sometimes it can easily get lost because if we are doing that, if we are seeking to glorify God in all our work, and by the way, that doesn't mean that, say, when you share the gospel, you you know, you don't have a desire to see someone saved. Of course you do. That's why you proclaim the gospel. But what is the primary foundational motivation is the glory of God. That is what motivates you to proclaim it because here's this amazing God who was so kind, who was so gracious to redeem you. I got to tell the world, right? Why do we why do we make disciples? Because we want to glorify the God who purchased us by his shed blood. That's what we're called to. Now, all of our work is about him. We're not worried about the outcomes because we're looking to glorify him. And when we when we serve him in obedience, that scripture tells us that actually does just that. It actually glorifies God. I was sharing this on uh, you know, X or Twitter or whatever you want to call it. And I was sharing this thought and uh, there was one individual who said, this is one of those harder both ends. He says, Jesus said, by this, I am glorified that you bear much fruit. Absolutely true. Right on. Uh, great uh, um, statement from Will Grapperhouse. When we are obedient to Christ, when we grow in our understanding, when we grow in our fruit, and do the, and we talked about this recently, you know, uh, about the, the the fruit of the spirit. When we bear that fruit, we are glorifying Christ. So that's our chief motivation. That's our foundation. Is the glory of God. It's all about Him. Nothing about us. And this is the thing that I think is amazing. Now that changed my changes my perspective. Now 
I'm not doing it about me and, and, and trying to be heard as me. It's not the end result is not dependent upon me. It's all about glorifying God and pointing people to him. And now guess what? I'm just a signpost. I'm just a humble servant. I'm just the one who says, he's the one you need to talk to. He's the one you need to be obedient to. He's the one you need to turn in repentance to and, and, and uh, have faith toward. And I'm simply the signpost. I'm simply the tool or the vessel that he uses. And guess what that does? Man, my, my esteem goes high up to Christ and my view of self brings me low. And I'm reading a book on this uh, right now, just getting into the first chapter called uh, Growing Downward talking about what biblical humility looks like. And he, uh, the author actually uses, I think, a really neat um, analogy. He talks about the, the I forget which uh, skyscraper it is in uh, Dubai, but it's this, like the world's tallest skyscraper. And he says, when you look at that skyscraper, what you need to understand is how deep the foundation goes. So the higher up the skyscraper, the lower down the foundation goes. And that's really kind of you know a picture of what humility is. The higher I esteem Christ, the lower in my downward disposition is as, as I view myself before him. And it's it's interesting. He actually makes a point that I had not considered. You know, when he uses, uh, he's comparing other texts that write on the issue of humility. And, and he cites two of them where it says that humility is our our understanding of our sinfulness before a holy God. And he says there's a problem that he has with that. And I think this is a really good point, is that when you go back to the garden, what was the chief sin? Well, it was pride, right? It was it was sinning against God for self. It was pride that motivated. It was pride that motivated the serpent, that uh, you know, Satan incognito, to do what he did. Well, if pride was the sin, what is the implication? That the right position of Adam and Eve in the garden was one of humility before their God, which means it's not merely having a right understanding of my of my sinfulness because prior to that fall, there wasn't an issue of sinfulness for them to view, but it was a right understanding of their creatureliness, their being created beings before this uncreated creator who they were made in his image. And so it's it, this downward disposition, as the uh, as the author writes, and I forget the author's name, and I don't have the book in front of me. Should have brought that out. Sorry, um, but I think that's such a great point when you consider if what we are called to is to esteem God above all, to glorify God and enjoy Him forever, then what is the right position uh, to view myself? I'm simply the servant who has been called to do His duty, and that's what I do. Which goes back to what? That that quiet obedience, simply doing what the Lord has called us to do. Not trumpeting our works, not trumpeting and looking for recognition for the things we do, not looking to the end result or the, uh, the outcomes or the successes or failures and determining whether what I've done is sufficient that way. Rather, it is, is have I done this to, to glorify Christ, have I done this to esteem him and point to him and turn people to him? If that's what you're doing, then continue on, Christian. Continue to work in that humble obedience, that humble servitude, and look to glorify him. I think there are a lot of us, especially when we see it on social media, which goes back to what I said just a little while ago, curate your time and, and what you're viewing on social media. 
because we have this tendency to look, especially there, as I'm evaluating my Christian walk and my success in my Christian walk on the basis of what everybody else is doing and whether or not I fit into that scheme or whether my platform's large enough. I mean, look, I was guilty of, I've been guilty of this many times and I know others have done it as well. And it's like, well, I, I, I'm not a voice like that person. I can't do what they're doing. Who cares? You do what God called you to do. He didn't call you to that position. Otherwise you'd be there. And who do you, how do you know that five years from now, 10 years from now, two weeks from now, that God won't put you in that position? You don't know that. What you do know is what you have in front of you right now, and you are called to be obedient in, in and be faithful in that little bit of uh, that he's given you. It, it's like the, you know, the parable of the talents, right? There was one man that got five, one man that got two, one man that got one, or the, you know, the, the, you know, the 10, five, and one. Um, the idea that you're given this to do something with it. The the unfaithful servant, the one who didn't do anything, the one who was beaten for not doing what he was told to do, is the one who buried it in the ground. Don't take what God has given you and throw it in the trash and then say, well, this here, this is yours, I don't want it, right? Be faithful, even if it's that one, you know, tiny little talent that, you know, he's given you, that one tiny little bit of, of uh, uh, platform or family, uh, you know, rearing your family or being faithful in your job or sharing the gospel, handing out a gospel track, whatever it is you're doing, you're just doing that and you're being faithful and God is glorified. That's the amazing thing. When you are faithful, God is glorified. All right. And by the way, God's glory is never tarnished. So even if you make a mistake, even if you do it wrong, even if you, uh, even if you're faithless in what you did, God is faithful and his glory is not tarnished. So you're not going to mess things up for God. Now that doesn't mean that we don't do tr- seek to do things rightly. Don't hear what I don't hear me say something I didn't say. We of course need to be students of the word, growing in our understanding con- you know, and continuing to do better as we go, and and how we proclaim things, how we share things, and the arguments we make, or in ways in our family and when we work and all these things. But my point is, is that you will fail, you will falter. But God's glory is not tarnished in the least by it. So now you're not. You're not having to be anxious about what you can or can't do or how much you were successful or not successful. Just glorify him. Seek to bring glory and honor to his name in all that you do. Let that be your mount, uh, your, your motivation, your foundation, and then just be obedient. Serve in that quiet, humble obedience, pointing always to him. And I think if we as Christians spend more time doing that, honestly, I think a lot of the arguing that we do, especially online, would probably come to an end, or at least most of it, maybe not all of it, because some of us really just love to argue. Um, and I've been guilty of it. I say that us, in, in <laughs> including self. Um, so that's my encouragement. That's probably where I'm going to probably start spending more time. And I really should remember to turn off my uh, my texture. <laughs> noises when I'm trying to record. I'm getting uh, things uh, things going on here. So um, so let me encourage you with that. You know, be faithful. Be faithful to serve the Lord. And don't worry about, do you need to be engaged in the arguments of the day? Do you need to be up on all the latest trends and all those things? Uh, be a faithful servant. And don't let other people tell you it's not enough. Don't let it. I've had people get mad at me and say, well, you're not engaging the way we think you need to engage. And that's why I joked before about the pietist comment. I, 
myself and others have encountered that, you know, especially from the crowd that really wants to move forward with this kind of Christian nationalist thinking. And it's like, if you, if you talk about what I just said for the last 30 minutes or so, um, you're a pietist because you're not, you're not telling people to get directly involved. So, um, <clears throat> excuse me. So don't let people tarnish that. Don't let people dissuade you. You be faithful to your master, be servant in your church, be a servant to your family and in, in, in your in your job and your workplace, and then work in those places that the Lord has put before you. And I believe that you will honor God and it doesn't matter what the outcome is going to be uh, with the rest of that because that's according to his sovereign plan and purpose. Now, um, let me finish up last 15, 20 minutes on this one. And uh, Seth, thank you for, for asking this question. Um, this is probably something that deserves a... A longer show, but he did ask about this. He actually messaged us a while back, and I forgot to uh, you know put this on our list of the show topics. So, Seth, my apologies, but uh, actually, it is a, it is a good question, and I'll spend a little bit of time talking about this. Um, totally different topic, and uh, we have been seeing this go on as of lately. And he his question was, you know, can I address the uh, the issue of the whole LGBTQ thing where? You have the lesbian, gay, bisexual kind of separating from the transgender, queer plus crowd, and that's actually if you if <clears throat> excuse me, my goodness, my throat's getting dry again. Apologies there. Um, if you're paying attention to any of the social sociopolitical stuff going on right now, you recognize there's been a major pushback on the transgender issue. It is. In, it is not going as well, I think, that uh, for that particular sociopolitical activist group as they would have thought. It is a it is a very um, hot war, so to speak. And it, what's happened is is as the LGBTQ thing grew from <clears throat> the eighties and nineties forward, and acceptance of homosexuality, gay. Uh, lesbian bisexuality grew. <clears throat> LGBT was, you know, it was kind of like okay, we can include the T because they're oppressed too in their definition. Um, it, it and by the way, if you just say simply say that's what you're advocating for is wrong and a sin and you need to repent, that you're you're oppressing them. That's what I mean by that. <clears throat> Excuse me. So. As this has begun, you know, begun to prog progress, and then we saw the Obergefell decision where homosexual marriage became a uh, a thing according to the the Supreme Court. In other words, all states had to to allow persons who identified as homosexual to marry, and more and more we're seeing uh, that basically it's been elevated to not even just an acceptable marriage lifestyle alternative to heterosexual marriage. There are, I believe it was James White many years ago who said it will be promoted as a superior relationship. And we are seeing that as well. You're seeing a lot of attack against when you hear cisgender, you know, that's cisgender, by the way, is you are actually identify as what you see in the mirror. In other words, if you look in the mirror and there's a guy and you go, yep, I'm a guy. That's cisgender, and they'll say cisgender, heteronormative, etc. They're they're being uh, they're hitting you with a slur, right? They're saying that uh, you know you don't understand because you just see life in your perspective, and so therefore they hit you with these labels, and they are actually advocating for a superior position. 
And so that's been going on for quite some time. And so the T portion of it, the the, uh, the transgender and then later the queer, etc., um, being added on, was kind of something they could include in, even though it was um, it's actually a counter narrative to what so many people are trying to say. Um, homosexuality, bisexuality, lesbianism, etc., recognizes gender, right? It recognizes that if you're heterosexual, male and female, if you're homosexual or lesbian, it's male, male or female, female. Bisexual means you're attracted to either, but it, it reinforces what people call the gender binary, male and female. Transgenderism utterly ignores all of that and says there's no such thing. There's no such gender as a construct, and we can we can be whatever we want, and that's how you end up with three you know three thousand different possible genders and pronouns that aren't even in the English language, just making up words at this point, um, and making up identities that don't even exist. So, up to a point, transgender was a useful co uh, co uh, collaborator, so to speak, uh, somebody that could beef up your your quote-unquote oppressed group so that you could say we are this group this community that is important to be recognized and we need official protection and sanctions from the government to be able to do what we want to do and to punish people who disagree with us that that's really what this activism has been doing for quite some time Fast forward to um, modern day, modern day. I guess I could say it, it's weird to say that because I kind of think of two thousands as uh, you know from two thousand to two thousand twenty three as kind of a, a lump sum. But some of y'all were born post two thousand, and so you're in your twenties now, and 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 time has advanced. And I still think you know nineteen eighties was yesterday. So um, it's it's gone. It, you know, a lot of time has gone by, whether I recognize it or not. I hate that. But um, so as time has moved forward to now, we have this whole different debate where the transgender side of things has now used the momentum of the LGBT or LGB side to forward their own agenda. And then in comes President Biden, who, when he ran for uh, for president back in, uh, in 2020, he was saying that transgenderism is the civil rights issue of our day. That was going to be the major theme of his presidency. That's what he was arguing for, is that transgender rights were the you know, the, the civil rights issue of our day. And so it got a major shot in the arm. And here's what happened out of that. You saw a massive rapid growth of not only just acceptance of transgenderism, or, or at least a, a, a demand for acceptance of it, but also now being pushed to schools, to colleges, to sporting events and competitions, down to grade schools down to preteen and younger. And this has been going on for a while. There's been a proliferation of transgender ideology for quite some time. 
we have just now kind of seen it's kind of like you know when you see you hear about a tidal wave right you see uh the warnings that there's this massive tidal wave head, headed for this particular nation or island if you look out at the ocean you don't see it why because there's this massive uh, uh, body of water and while the the shock wave is underneath and it's pushing that water you may see a ripple on the surface or a bulge but you may not you're not going to see this massive crashing wave until it gets close to shore and then it builds up and up and over and blam you get the the massive crashing wave the the, the rush of water coming in that's what's been going on under the surface for years upon years. This, uh, all this stuff that's been going on, the buildup in <clears throat> the transgender clinics, the buildup in the, uh, the medical and psychological communities, the buildup in the schools, all of this was going on, most of us rather ignorant of because we're not paying attention. And then all of a sudden the wave crashes in and we're all caught up in the, in the, the, the mass and the tidal wave uh, that has, has swept through. <clears throat> but the transgender side of things has been going on for quite a while and it's built up to where it's now out of control. And so what's happening is, and by the way, if you, um, you want to uh, see an interest, it's a secular book. It's not a Christian book. Um, and I'm hitting the wrong things on my computer here, uh, that deals with this, um, I would recommend, I think it's called Irreparable Damage. Um, let me see if I can pull it up real quick. But it's a really good book that talks about, um, specifically for young, for young women, young girls, who have been caught up in this transgender crave. Um, irreparable, I think it's Irreparable Damage. I'm trying to... Um, I'll, 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 yeah, irreparable uh, damage, I believe. Uh, but it's um, it talks about how uh, irreversible damage. Sorry, I, I, I kept saying irreparable. Irreversible damage by Abigail Schreier talks about how young uh, young ladies have been caught up in this, and <coughs> pardon me, um, who have been caught up. In the trans transgender craze, and some of the the steps that she's seen, how we got there, and how transgenderism, which was normally, if you looked at it from a secular um, medical diagnosis perspective, was almost exclusively of men trying to become women, but in recent years has been this massive explosion of women trying to become men out of the blue and she does a really good job of explaining that and some of the things that have that go with how we get there for example tiktok is a huge influence in these young preteen teen young ladies and and obviously for young uh you know for for boys as well and how it that all this time is spent and all these arguments are made so that a person who's just caught up with this looks into it and goes, that makes sense. That's what I feel. I must be. And suddenly, what we've known historically, which when you're preteen, teen, hitting that hormonal surge and your body goes berserk and your emotions are in flux and your brain is just not it's suddenly like wired 16 different directions, 
we we recognize that there has always been a period of time where people would be confused about who they were and what they were, and that with the right guidance and uh, and, and patience and time, a person would come to understand, I'm not. I'm not something opposite of what I see in the mirror. I actually am a guy or I actually am a girl. I, they're just, it's that flood of emotion and uh, hormonal insanity that we all go through. They're, they're seizing upon this and they're going more and more after these younger and younger kids to where you have ridiculous videos of moms and dads let, let me just say something, Dad. If you're if you're sitting there and your wife is telling a camera how your child at three years old knew that he was a she, and you're sitting there silent, wearing a sweater that say "Trans Kids Lives Matter," I want to smack you because your spine was stolen somewhere along the way. Okay, stand up for your child. Don't do this. Don't 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 give in to this nonsense. There's a video where a, a mom is doing just that, and you're just looking at this man going, "Can you say something? Like actually be a man and and speak up for your child." Um. So if they're going after them younger and younger ages to the point of even saying that at at toddler age or when they're a baby, they they recognize that there's something other than that, and it's. It's driven by this absolute insatiable desire to, to make children accept and promote this ideology. Now, this is where I think we've kind of hit this sudden decision point for the whole LGBT community as a whole. You've got this fork in the road where we either allow this group, this transgender group, to be part of the LGBT community as well, or we part ways. And I think there has been a push for that in some circles to see lesbian, gay, bisexual part ways with transgender because the massive amount of pushback. It's, you know, the, the Abigail Schreier book, for example, sees no problem with homosexuality. It's, she, you know, in her mind, we don't, you don't, it'd be better if your daughter was, you just accepted she was lesbian before you destroy her body and let her become a boy. I would argue both are sinful and both are destructive, but the world at large has been so indoctrinated to thinking that the alternative lifestyle, so to speak, the LGB lifestyle is just another, uh, you know, just another way in which we exist that okay, fine. You know, we can, we, we, I work with a homosexual. I work with a man who's gay. I work with a woman who has a wife. Uh, you know, so these are nice people. It's the issue of, um, well, I have a question on here and I don't know how to answer it. Cause I don't even know what it is. Uh, I'll get back to you on that one, sir. So like I said, I had social media up and <laughs> for in case there were questions and somebody's asking me about generative AI, Brother, you're gonna to have to explain what generative AI is. There's a bad, okay. No, I'm getting distracted. So, uh, <laughs> so the problem with the the transgender issue is that it is pushing for something that most people can just look with common sense and go, man, woman. We get it, man, woman. We might be confused on the issue of sexuality, but we can identify what is a man and a woman. 
And when a six and a half foot tall, 250 pound man is screaming at a, uh, a, a GameStop employee and saying, it's ma'am in a male voice, we all go, no, it's not ma'am, it's man. You know, we, we recognize it. And when you're coming after children and trying to make children, little boys and little girls into something that they are clearly not, that I think the conscious, the collective conscience of the culture is not yet so seared on that matter that people aren't losing their minds. And so it's a sociopolitical anchor at this point. If you are part of this community of people that wants the government to enforce your ideology and punish those who will not accept it, but it's got this one other attached group that even you go, dude, like you're even trying to eradicate what we are. You're, you're actually, you're, you're destroying what women are, for example, you know, you know, the, the phrase, what is a woman? Why? Because a particular Supreme Court candidate was asked, can you tell me what a woman is? Because it was an important question because it's being asked in, uh, in courts as laws are being passed for things like sports. And what is she? What is the 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 Supreme Court can now Supreme Court justice? What was her answer? Well, I can't answer that. I'm not a doctor, right? She knew answering it, that question brought with it an understanding of the legal implications, and she she ducked on it. She punted. She was not going to answer that question because she knew it was a risky uh, risky thing to do. But we asked we asked that question: What is a woman now? And it's having massive implications, uh, you know, culture wide. Schools, locker rooms, bathrooms, sports. Women are being eradicated by men who demand to be recognized as women, and they're being pushed out of society. And children are being groomed to believe that they can, at, at an age when they, they, we wouldn't even allow them to take a, a, a drag off a cigarette or a drink of alcohol because it was too dangerous for them. We're allowing them to get on hormone blockers and have their bodies. Ir- irreversibly altered, mangled, and and maimed, all in the name of this uh, this ideology. So there's this temptation to pull apart and say, maybe we don't want to be a part of that. They're just going to have to be. They can kind of be co-belligerents. They that's the word I was looking for. Co-belligerents off to the side over here, but we're we're going to be over here and separating from that because we don't like where this is going. Here's my problem with that. You don't get to do that. You can try. I mean, you can certainly disavow and you can make statements to that effect, but you can't. Ultimately, you can't do it. Why? Because your arguments are their arguments. You said, we are. We have identified what we are. We understand our sexuality. We understand who we love. We understand what our desires are. You cannot take that from us. You cannot say that uh, homosexuality, bisexuality, lesbianism is wrong. You can't say that because we feel it deep in our soul. We feel it in our heart and in our identity. And you're telling us we can't be what we really are. That's been the argument from day one. What is the argument of the transgender person? I know who I am. I know what my gender is. You cannot take that from me. It's the same argument. You laid the foundation if you, if you are part of the LGB group, you laid the foundation for this argument to be acceptable across a number of different um, sexually deviant uh, uh, behaviors and ideas. 
you laid the very foundation. You can't rip that back up and say, that's not yours, that's ours. Because if you remove the possibility of there being anything that defines man and woman and sexuality, if you remove that, which is what has been done in the name of LGB, then you cannot now say there has to be a standard for them, though. That's the problem. You have removed the standard by which you could judge anything. You have removed the standard which defines what is male and female, what is marriage, what is sexuality. You've redefined what a family is. And it's all on the basis of what we feel and what we think. There cannot be any external examination. We can't appeal to something else. It can only be an appeal to that person's core being and what they feel. So if you are LGB, you feel this, you know this, therefore I am this, and it must be accepted and celebrated. But then you want to turn around and say, but T can't have that because T is doing this and this and this, and we don't like what they're doing in the name of our own argument. Now, I'm not saying this is a widespread discussion, um, it, but it does seem that it's one that's kind of been bubbling and moving around on the surface. And what's interesting is watching the sociopolitical arguments that are going on. You've got people like, um, and I'm going to call him by his actual name, Bruce Jenner, who is a transgender. And he is like really the linchpin of the public persona of transgenderism because he came out on television as being transgender. He was going to become a woman on television uh, as transgender. He was celebrated in magazines. He was given awards. He, was, he had did all these speeches. He paved the way for the modern celebrity uh, celebration of transgenderism. And now Bruce Jenner has the unmitigated gall to act as a Republican and saying he's going to protect women's sports. It's like, wait a minute, Bruce. Um, you don't get to do that because you actually demanded and, and wanted enforced a celebration of your identity. And now you're trying to say, but this, but, the, but girls and 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 uh, and boys and at, at, at a child level and sports needs to be protected, even though you demanded that you be seen and accepted as. Uh, what you claim to be, you claim to be a woman and that you have the right to determine that and you get to define it. That's the same argument they're using. They're just pushing it to a lower and lower level. And you're seeing some groups, I mean, you got people like Dave Rubin, who is part of uh, Daily Wire. He's a, you know, political pundit. He's a, you know, a conservative, you know, talk show person and gay. You know, he's homosexual. He's married to, you know, married in the secular uh, misrepresentation of the term to another man and they've adopted a child. And he is part of this group of conser politically conservative persons that now says transgenderism bad. He doesn't he, he, he has used the celebrity status of his arguments to get where he is. But then wants to turn around and say, but that other group, no. And I, I'm not speaking specifically to his arguments. I, I don't know what Dave Rubin's arguments are, but I mean, as far as being part of Daily Wire and all these, I mean, remember, Daily Wire is the one that put out the, sh the, the, the program, What is a Woman? Matt Walsh's uh, documentary. He's part of that. You know, he's part of that group. And he's trying to say, 
and be part of a group that says we have to limit this. Well, how do you get to do that if your arguments are their arguments? Because you helped eradicate any substantive objective definition. So, unfortunately, uh, you know, and uh, and again, Seth, I think you and I briefly talked about this. Um, unfortunately, for those who are inside this LGBT community, you're not going to be able to drop this anchor, so to speak. You're, you're going to want to try. Some may argue for it. You can't if you want to hold on to the arguments that have you put you where you're at. You're either going to have to acknowledge that there are objective standards which define what men and women are and define their sexuality, or you're going to have to embrace the same arguments you've used for decades and even generations at this point, and you're going to have to say, we can't cut a line off anywhere because if we do, we're hypocrites. And so I think it, it, there's going to be a period of turmoil. Um, it's I think you know, if this if this particular argument continues to grow, I think it'll cause some turmoil within that sociopolitical group. But ultimately, it doesn't matter. It's they're not going to be able to shed that without shedding their argumentation. And ultimately, I think they're either going to collapse in on themselves as a quote community because now there's this infighting. Or they're just going to have to accept that this is the standard that we ourselves have set and we've got to defend them. I, I, really, I don't think there's any legitimate way. And that's not to say they won't embrace illegitimate ways. There's no, it's not to say that they won't embrace irrational arguments because they've already done so. But there would be no rational or logical way for them to, without being utter hypocrites, to deny the, the transgender uh group as being part of what they are because it's all the same argumentation. So as Christians, what does that mean for us? Well, we need to remember this is how we got in this mess was the abandonment of political or excuse me, a, 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 not, we, we absorb, we embrace the political and abandonment of objective standards. And our objective standards go back to scripture. Scripture says God made us man and woman, made us male and female. God defined marriage. God defined sexuality. God said what we can and cannot do uh, with regard to sexuality. And that is the end of, that's the end of the discussion. There isn't, well, if you got to know these people, I've met, you know, many I, and, and you're right. Some of them are some of the nicest people you'll ever meet. But that doesn't change the fact that that individual is still rebelling against God's created order, and that person needs the gospel message. So whether they're, uh, you know, whether this is a family member, whether it's a neighbor, a coworker, uh, this person who is engaging in and and accepting this ideology and this behavior is rebelling against God. We have to stand by that, and and we can do that in ways that are loving. And we absolutely should, but we don't back down. And unfortunately, there's a lot of people that say, we need to back down on this. We need to not be in, <clears throat> I believe it was J.D. Greer who said um, that he would be willing to use somebody else's preferred pronouns if it meant not being an, an obstacle to the, gos the gospel. Here's the problem with that, J.D. Um, that's, that's a denial of God's word. We, we cannot deny God's word and think we can reach people because once we buy into their corrupted ideology, their corrupted thinking and say, okay, you're clearly a him, but I'm going to call you her for the sake of this discussion, 
you've already now reinforced what this person wants. And now you, you how, how do you have anything else? How are you going to convince them of the truth of the scriptures when you punt on the issue of their gender? Because, hey, I just want to get, I want to put that aside for a minute. I'm not saying that we have to like, look, sir, look, sir. Yes, this, sir. You don't need to do that. You know, talk to them by their name. That's fine. I don't have a problem with that. But when you buy into the issue of the, the pronouns thing and you buy into the issue of calling this person a woman when he's clearly a man for the sake of that discussion, you've given up objective truth. And now your discussion is controlled by that person, not controlled by the word of God. We cannot punt on this issue. We have to stand by it. That's going to cost us. It's going to cost us a lot more and more. I mean, uh, I don't know what the outcome was, but there was a woman who was uh, in the UK, I believe, who was put on trial for posting Christian truth, you know, scripture and they then they they argued she was being she was engaging in hate speech. She's just posting what the Bible said. They were trying to argue and prosecute her for hate speech for citing the Bible. And the truth of the matter is is that that's what's going to happen as we continue down this path. Um, and I know, that, you know, going back to the the earlier discussion about Christian nationalism, I know that's one thing people want to. Well, that's why we need Christian nationalism so we can get rid of all this. But even if you can establish that, it's it's still years down the road. Um, this is not happening tomorrow. We're still dealing with the issues now. And as a Christian, I, my encouragement to you is you got to stand by biblical truth. You've got to actually um, talk about what the Bible says and do so in a way that you're showing love and grace and compassion to people who are dealing with these issues. And you absolutely need to do that. But at the same time, you don't give ground. And you do the same thing with lesbian, gay, bisexual, and other. You know, whether they're tearing their own community apart on this issue really for us is irrelevant because all of them need the gospel. All of them need to be you know, brought into a right relationship with Jesus Christ. And so you can watch these things and kind of know what's about to happen and know that there could be serious socio-political ramifications for this. Uh, and you can recognize there's utter hypocrisy in what's going on. But ultimately, what does it matter to you? What matters to you is that you have a God in heaven who has told you who you are, how he made you, what he made you for. And you have a duty as a Christian to share that gospel with people. Um, so we can certainly comment on these sociopolitical issues. And we can talk about hypocrisy. And, and, and we can talk about how... Uh, it's irrational and illogical and how it's destructive to children and it's destructive to women and destructive to sports. Absolutely. Let's engage in all of those things, but let's get back to the truth of the matter, which is you got to share the gospel. You've got to be giving these people the gospel because it doesn't matter whether they, they get the logic of it or not. Ultimately, with, apart from a, a regenerating work of the Holy Spirit and repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, they're condemned to hell. They just happen to have a set of sins that maybe you're not engaging with that uh, is different, right? Ultimately, it's still sin. So um, that's that's hopefully that answers your question. Um, you know, running that race on, on Twitter slash X or whatever, his question, if anybody knows what this is, send me a message. You can email me at... Um, Voice of Reason Radio at gmail.com. 
He says, what do you think of generative AI? Do you think it's a terrible thing, a great thing? Is there some nuance on the topic? I'm not sure what he means by generative AI. Um, are you talking about, if you're just talking about artificial intelligence in general, like the chat GBT, the, uh, you know, write, you know, using things to write papers, um, you know, recipes, uh, artwork stuff. I'm really not sure what he means by generative AI, but if it's AI in general, and I can, I guess I can ask him once the show's over. Um, I'll answer this real quick because uh, you know, I, I had a, a response to the something of this nature on Facebook the other day. Uh, somebody had asked, how can Christians be using AI. It was like almost an incredulous statement. AI in and of itself, I don't think is something that's uh, sinful in and of itself. Why? It's a form of technology. Technology in and of itself, like the internet is not uh, is not a moral issue. Its use of it can become a moral issue depending on what you're using it for. So AI kind of the same thing. It's basically a program that learns and goes out and gets more information and forms answers in a consistent manner, hopefully. Um, and so if you ask it, you know, what's, uh, you know, what's the Pythagorean theorem and why, why is it important? It would probably be able to look it up for you and tell you what it is and why. Uh, if you want to say, hey, I, I've got these ingredients and I need to make a quick dinner, give me a recipe. Bam, it throws it together. I actually watched a, a guy that uh, we watch on YouTube do that. And it uh, didn't quite work the way he wanted, so he asked it a few more questions and he got the re a recipe he liked and he put it together. came out great. Uh, AI art. You know, we've got, uh, we've got brothers and sisters on Twitter who use AI art to make some really amazing looking things and some just bizarre looking things. Um, it's just a program that searches out material and then tries to create something on the basis of your questions or prompts. It's basically a program. That's really what it is. Um, it's, you know, Grammarly. If you use Grammarly, I use that a lot when I'm writing things out. Grammarly is now, I think, starting to use, if you pay for this, I think it's called Grammarly Go. Um, I think is using AI tools to help refine what you write. So you could put bullet points and then you can get a report, so to speak. So uh, I think that was what I saw in the commercial for it. It's a technological advancement in and of itself. And sorry to the Haunted Cosmos guys, they, they, they probably hate me for this. Uh, I don't think it's demon possessed. Okay. Um, it's not, I know that there have been some concerns about things that it has said um, on the basis of the way people phrased questions and got it to think outside its parameters that they got some bizarre question or responses back that people go, maybe this is demonic. I think on the basis of how you input, it's what you get back. So um, I, I don't, I don't believe in and of itself that AI is demonic. I got something beeping around here. I don't know what it is. So <laughs> it's the AI invading. <laughs> I said something that it's not demonic and it's now trying to prove me wrong. I guess something was beeping. <laughs> so I, I think it's just a tool. Here's my problem with AI, though. AI is is something where it's basically you not doing the work. It's taking work that's out there and bringing it in a com in a composite answer of sorts to you. So if you're if you're trying to get a recipe, I don't have a problem with that. If you're just trying to create some fun art, I don't have a problem with that. Once you start, you know, there are actually like I forget who shared it. Uh, Justin Peters, I think, and I need to I need to look at the article. Christianity Today, I think, ran an article about the use of AI in sermon prep. 
That's horrible. Now that's that's where you know, we we start crossing into a serious problem. Well, how's that horrible? If you lose logos and it, it has a sermon prep stuff, you're just using a tool, right? There's a difference between using the tools that exist and maybe using something like Lagos or Logos, whatever you call it, uh, or, or some of the other ones that are out there to pull that information that you then go through and then put your sermon together. But AI instead goes out and if you say, write me a, an essay on uh, you know, the um, humpback whale. It's going to go out there and it'll write one for you. Well, if pastors are doing something like that, to basically offset their work so they don't have to work so hard, that is cheating. And that's essentially doing um, you know, plagiarism because you're using other people's work without, without accreditation. That's problematic in the same way that someone says, hey, write me that essay on, on a humpback whale. If you present that as your work, you, you lied. Um, if you do AI art, and you present it as though it's not AI, like you you did this on an art program yourself, you'd be lying, right? So there's a huge there's a huge problem with AI in how we can use it, just like any other tool. If you if I use the internet to create blog articles and po- podcast episodes, it's a tool. If I use the uh, if I use the internet to access pornography, to harass people, to uh, you know hide behind a false identity and and uh, and do evil things, then the then I'm using it for sinful purposes, right? Same thing with AI. So I think there's I think there's a there are very concerning issues with regard to AI, especially the inherent bias of the because Silicon Valley is not exactly you know a, a bastion of conservative and Christian thought. Um, somebody shared the other day, like, make me a joke about Jesus, and I won't say the blasphemous thing it said, but it made a joke about Jesus. Tell me a joke about Muhammad. Can't do that. You know, we can't insult religious figures. We just did it 30 seconds before insulting Jesus. Um, so there's an inherent bias built into these programs. So that's a concern. If you're going to use it, you should be con- thinking about that. Um, so watch your motivations. Watch the reason you use it what, and how you're using it. Um, I, I hope that answers his question. <laughs> <laughs> I just, if you're talking about something outside of that general understanding of AI, I would, I would say, I'm, I'm sorry, brother. I, I, you're going to have to give me some clarity. All right. So it uh, looks like a couple of the questions were answered. I was able to get some answers. I do not see any others. So I am going to let you guys go for this week. Uh, if this has been helpful, would you let us know? Uh, you can always contact us at voiceofreasonradio at gmail.com. And we don't want you to contact us just for a pat on the back. If these things are helpful, it helps us to know what things to focus on. If they challenged you or if you were just uh, bothered by it and you felt that there was something wrong with it, it it helps us to figure out how to refine our, our presentation and our arguments and also to consider whether or not did we did we error in something that we said. So please let us know, voiceofreasonradio at gmail.com. I want to also encourage you to, again, if you listen to this program and you find it useful, would you consider leaving a review? Now, I get zero notifications about reviews. We're not getting them because it makes us feel better. It helps people who are, you know, searching, you know, the podcasts out there for something new to listen to. And if there is a comment, like we're through Podbean, so if you have the Podbean app, you can leave comments about the show. 
Um, and like Apple Podcasts, you can do the you know one to five star or one to four star. I can't remember uh, review and leave a comment. Those are useful in so much as the person looking for a podcast to listen to can look at reviews and go, wow, there's, okay, now I know what they're talking about. I know what they do. So maybe this is something for me or not. So that's my encouragement there. Occasionally we do stumble across them. Um, and it's nice to know that we are a benefit to you guys, but really I, it, it doesn't change where we land in the algorithm. It doesn't change, um, you know, uh, you know, our stats or anything like that. It, it simply just makes it, you know, possible for people to know this is what you think of the program and whether you thought it was helpful or not and also <clears throat> excuse me if uh if you have thoughts about show topics that you'd like to hear from uh, hear from us on again contact us if the program is helpful to you consider sharing it <coughs> excuse me throat went dry really fast um by sharing it, that's the biggest way you can help us because that lets people know that there's a podcast out there that you find useful and uh, maybe it'll help them. And again, we're not doing this for numbers. I always try to make sure people understand that because I got accused of shilling the podcast. I think I said this earlier. Um, we're not trying to shill anything. We just want to help folks out with the, you know, under, looking at the world through a biblical perspective. Uh, so this is one way you can help. Now, if you want to continue to help the program in any way, uh, you can go to our website, go to slavetothekingcom There is a link for Patreon. Maybe one of these days when I actually have time available, I'll try to make Patreon work for those who actually contribute. <laughs> Sorry, guys. But it is a way that you can contribute to the program. It is an ongoing basis. I don't have a... Uh, we Once upon a time, we used... Um, uh, we used a website for uh, for single time donations uh, through pay PayPal, but I don't trust PayPal because they they say in their policy that they're willing to take money out of an account if 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 you do something with PayPal they don't like. And uh, while that went backwards, I don't think it went fully backwards. So I have not yet spent time to look at any way of single donations. Um, and I'm not doing that to solicit them. I'm just letting you know how this is what we have. Uh, people have helped out to some extent. So that's one thing you can do. Another way you can contribute if you want to is through um, the doctrineandlife.co website, which sells uh, T-shirts and uh, stickers with our logo on it. Um, we, you know, Basically, the way that helps us is it gets the, the, the name out there. So people know that this podcast exists. We're not exactly taking anything from, they do the work and sell it for us. Um, we don't really make anything off of it, but it helps by you wearing that or putting a sticker on your water bottle or something. People go, Oh, what is that? And now they, they have an opportunity to learn about it. So that's another way that you can help. And the final way to help is just to pray for uh, us and for our families. If you want to be a, you know, the, the greatest help you could possibly be, just pray that we remain faithful to this program. Pray that the Lord help us be faithful to our families. And then um, we, we face all the same issues you do. We deal with sickness. We deal with finances. We deal with job stuff. We deal with family. Um, so pray for that, you know, that, that we would honor God and that, um, we would be used by him. So this program, I think went a little bit longer than I really thought it would. So I hope this was, uh, helpful to you guys. And, um, thank you for being part of our family. We are so grateful for that. We look forward to spending time with you next week. God bless you. Good night. We'll see you next time. Mm -hmm.